the common thread throughout my career is data analytics. And even when I was sort of focusing on different channels and spending time in paid search or paid social, it was always performance. And it was always about the metrics and how are we doing? Are we impacting the business and being thoughtful about the numbers? That's Aaron Wallner, CMO of Quantic Bank. And man, is he a data guy and he knows his statistics. And he incorporates them into his strategy effectively, letting it drive marketing, product improvements, and also elevating the brand. Whether it's how he collects or uses customer feedback and review data, or how he's doing his A-B testing through the customer journey, this guy is doing all the tricks of our trade. So A-B-T, always be testing, and then make it meaningful, right? And so, like you started off talking about with the widget, inserting social proofing on landing pages, that's like a very obvious test. And the hypothesis there is, you know, if we insert more obvious top-of-page type social proofing, that'll increase the conversion rate. But let's not forget, Quantic Bank is a bank. They're typically boring old institutions which feel like concrete blocks, not something that's in tune with what I need as a person. While Aaron has all of these data-driven strategies, ironically, Aaron's ultimately focused on making the brand more human-centric. Now, that's different than most banks that I work with. And I can say this, my bank is not really caring about me as a human. I'm Dan McGaw. I'm the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw. Each week, I get to speak with marketing executives to find out the strategies and the tech stack they're using to drive revenue. Let's jump into Aaron's episode. Hey, I'm Aaron Wallner, Chief Marketing Officer at Quantic Bank. So tell me a little bit more about Quantic. You know, I'm interested. I don't get to talk to many people who work at a bank. So actually, this is the first bank I've worked for. Throughout my career, I've been on the consulting side, working for banks, right? And so having the contractor badge at like American Express or Bank of America or BBBA and on and on, financial services and how you work within financial services, marketing, MarTech, whatever, it's intentionally slow and it's really big and complicated. I don't want to like undercut. There's really smart people that work at these places. But good luck trying to suss out insights from a monthly web analytics report from Amex.com. I was always thankful to not work directly for a financial institution, aka a bank. And then a few years ago, I met Quantic, and Quantic did not look or act like a bank. Very much a fintech. The terminology at that point, I think, was probably overly aggressive, actually. Part of the description of, of Quantic a few years ago was breaking the system for financial empowerment. We are regulated by the OCC. I don't think they want to see anyone break anything, right? You know, I've done a lot of work with my team to make sure that we humanize the brand, think and talk responsibly about what we do. But at the end of the day, we are innovating and we've done some really awesome stuff. First to market with a crypto rewards card. We have a wearable ring that we give out with a checking account so you can pay for things with the tap of a ring. People love it. Now, I'm, I'm interested, so in, in, don't get me wrong, I, I think there's all kinds of banks. I was debating with somebody last night, like, how do you even start a bank? Like, I don't even know how this works, because there's a bank down the street from us that's gone out of business like four times. It's been like four different banks in five years. So it's interesting to me, like, how do they even get started? What makes Quantic different? Like, I have Bank of America as an example. What makes Quantic different uh, than that? Everything. I'll start with the sort of the superhero angle. Our origin story is pretty cool. We purchased a bank in distress 12 years ago, coming out of the 2008 financial crisis, and had a vision to create a best-in-class mortgage bank on the loan side and to eventually become a digital bank, right? It took years to sort of flesh that out. And really, in earnest, we turned it into a digital bank only in the past couple of years. 
I hate defining things by what they're not, but we are a digital bank because we don't have any physical branch locations, right? Yeah. Pretty clean cut. Yeah. How do you start a bank? There are a limited number. It's intentionally hard to figure it out. It's intentionally heavily regulated, right? Because you're holding on to the general public's money, which is the foundation of our economy and our trust in this green thing that we pass around and all believe is worth something. It's just really important to the larger economy. But at the same time, if you close your eyes, I also like worked in tax for a little bit. You know, we did like a three-day behind the one-way mirror, you know, research in Charlotte, just talking to people, doing focus groups and, and stuff to inform our marketing for the years ahead. We learned a lot of what we already knew, but people hate taxes. They hate thinking about it. They hate, <laughs> they hate everything about it, right? And so where do you start? I talk about that because close your eyes and picture a bank. It is not a good, fun, friendly picture in your head. I love being able to turn something on its head, right? So what you would classically define as stodgy, boring, stiff, whatever you want to sort of classify it and make it friendly, fun, interesting, warm, right? And I think that if you go to Quantic, you'll actually feel those things. And I I give that credit to my team. Well, I mean, one, you added this ring, I think, and you talk about humanizing the brand and things like that. And you, one of these innovations, the ring, I was telling my wife about it. I'm like, this is super cool. I wear an aura ring on my finger. Uh, so like to add another ring would be uh, for payment would be awesome. Now you had mentioned you were running marketing analytics at an agency. How the hell does a marketing analytics person become the CMO of a bank? So I was in fintech and I was running marketing for fintechs and at other agencies more focused on financial services. But the bottom line is, I started from a data standpoint in marketing. So I joined uh, a company called Optimus, which was first to market with multivariate testing. Back in 2007 or so, we got swallowed up like three or four times into HP eventually and, and yada yada. So it was a fascinating start to my career. But the bottom line is I started in statistics. And I loved how this thing that I considered to be the softest side of business, marketing, has this really like, you know, hard number side to it. Stepping back, how exciting is it to change out like a green button with a red button, which is precisely what we were doing. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact is the regression analysis, the hard statistics behind what we were able to prove and the conversion rate impact and the lift and all this stuff that's like hard math. So that's really been in my DNA. And that's what in school when I was studying business, again, I thought marketing was like the softest side of it. And so really the common thread throughout my career is data analytics. And so that's really what made me end up eventually in that position. And even when I was sort of focusing on different channels and, you know, spending time in paid search or paid social, it was always performance. And it was always about the metrics and how are we doing? Are we impacting the business and being thoughtful about the numbers? So actually for me as a CMO, the left side of my brain was totally neglected until pretty recently. Like I wasn't able to really get creative because every time I got creative, it was about performance. And I think what I've been able to develop over the past couple of years specifically, and to answer your question more directly about jumping from A to B. So right after being the head of marketing analytics for iCrossing, I joined an early stage fintech startup as the head of marketing. And so from there, it was just sort of a natural leap to the CMO position at basically a bank that acted like a fintech. And also before being the the head of marketing analytics for iCrossing, I was the head of digital for a fintech. So that was more like the stint in between what I'm kind of currently doing. I guess like in your role though, like what are your main goals? We grew at breakneck speed. So we talked previously about 
the rate of growth that we had over the past couple of years, 11x on the digital bank side in terms of the growth of our customer base, which is super exciting. But you know, do we have the systems in place? The way that I sort of talk about it within my group and across other groups is picture a store, classic toy store, right? The front of the store looks great. It looks super modern and attractive and enticing and engaging. When you walk in, does the inside of the store match that? And very practically speaking, is our app up to snuff, right? Do we have a best-in-class mobile application? Do we have a best-in-class online banking? Have we reduced friction as you interact with us and as you bank? And then the same goes on the lending side of the business. It's a whole different equation, but the same sort of principles apply. So we're focused very much this year on on the foundational element of the business, making sure systems are connected. And I know that that's kind of the point of this conversation is to talk about systems and and tools and software and how it all connects and you know the sum of the parts. I mean, after 11x growth, right, over the past two years, like that's crazy, right? That's difficult growth. That's breakneck speed, I would agree. We are trying on new lead gen partners. We are continuing to push on search, Google and Microsoft specifically. It's also going after new types of people, right? And so a mortgage loan is not a mortgage loan. There is the conventional community that are sort of just looking for your standard 30-year mortgage. There's investor loans, there's self-employed loans. So we're very much going down the path of being more specific. What that means is our advertising is a little bit different and more specific. So we have now more tailored ads to self-employed. Now, self-employed also, you could peel back the layers. Everything's an onion, right? And so you have a gig worker, you have a freelancer, you have all these different types of people, and you even have types of those things, right? Like a driver or a chef. And so we used our data to identify, hey, over the past three years, who are our most popular borrowers by category and also by specific profession. And so anyway, we're finding new partners to bring us like investor, real estate investor leads, for example. We have a dedicated partner for that. And also on the content side, right? So we have a dedicated set of landing pages, a dedicated partner website for content and tools and calculators. It's really building out an ecosystem to facilitate a more targeted approach so that we're just getting a little bit more specific at the end of the day. Yeah. Now, one of the things we talked about a little bit in your pre-interview was, of course, like you joined Rakuten Affiliate Network. Yeah. So Rakuten is a great partner of ours, one of the big players in the space in terms of affiliate, especially for financial services. We rely heavily, I think the number is 38% of our digital bank leads come from our affiliate channel, which is basically a through line through Rakuten, right? So Rakuten is just a platform. No one's going to Rakuten.com, but we, the company, we Quantic, right? We log into the platform and we're able to manage our spend and our advertising across all these different publishers, right? Even if you don't know Quantic Bank, one day we might be a household name. We're, we're not today. We're, we're self-aware of that. <laughs> you probably have heard of NerdWallet, Bankrate, Forbes, Investopedia, right? And so being there, A, but also being well-reviewed, and being competitive on the charts and and just playing the affiliate game basically through Rakuten just provides us a lot of efficiency basically and enables my team to be really nimble and, and to drive a lot of efficiency there. When you think about the metrics for the lending side, right? Like what are the metrics you're focused on that drive into that? So there are three channels in order of importance from a marketing perspective of a MarTech perspective, D2C, wholesale, and retail. So D2C is something that, that me and my team started. That's lead gen. It's my bread and butter. I've got to know how search works for 
people who search for different types of loans. You have to know how the affiliate space works, how other lead gen partners might feed into it. So in terms of metric and the goal, Q1, I'll just answer it very specifically for Q1, it's a certain number of prequels, right? And so it's a less sexy metric. We love thinking about customer lifetime value, ROAS, right? Like all these metrics that any marketer worth their salt, they're focused on very business impact type metrics like that. And it's not that we're ignoring that, but we're very focused on a volume metric. And I think there's a lot to be said for, even if it's not the newfangled thing in terms of how we measure stuff. And by the way, every two or three years, the marketing community decides, no, 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 this is the thing, right? Like this is the metric. (laughs) And you have to remember, like, you don't have to always do that. So it sounds like you're really, really focused on prequel. Like that's the primary metric. So that's the North Star metric that your team is focused on. For Q1. So one of the things I developed for the agency when I was leading marketing analytics is what I called a goal matrix. And it starts with the North Star and there's a tree and branch that extends down. So it flows through to the business units underneath the North Star. And then underneath that, it's the strategy. And underneath that, those are the tactical things that you do as marketers every day across email, content, social, blah, 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 right? But they need to ladder up and they need to connect to the North Star. So for the digital bank, the North Star is customer lifetime value and bringing that to life in a real way, right? And so you've got these very classic methods in terms of cross-sell, right? So if you bring in someone who's a high-yield savings customer, well, the way that we can look at that person, right? Remember, it's not an account number, it's a person. So we try and humanize that as well, is that high-yield savings customer opens up a CD and they're actually looking for a certain type of loan and we're able to market to them and communicate to them. And there's there's a lifetime value of acquiring that customer, right? And there is a responsible way to do that math and an irresponsible way to do that math. And that's kind of what I focused on for a couple of years as the head of marketing analytics for that for the agency is trying to clean up the math because a lot of marketers are incredibly talented with statistics and math, but some are not. Like, know your strengths. So if everyone's talking about customer lifetime value, oh, shoot, I need, I need a CL, you know, an LTV formula. If you just spin one up, or take one from you know, a Google search that doesn't apply to your, your industry, your business, that's how you can actually miscalculate and actually hurt the business by trying to use a formula that just doesn't make sense. Gotta pop in here because as a marketer with an analytics background, I can't agree enough with this point Aaron is making. As a consultant, I get hired so often to fix mistakes that could have been avoided with just a little bit of knowledge of actual statistics instead of just the creative side of marketing. Stating the obvious here, if you don't have a strong background in analytics, your marketing attribution skills or your data skills are going to suffer. And attribution is absolutely essential to the effective and efficient marketing strategy. On top of that, marketing analytics provides tangible data on your paid marketing initiatives, offering insights, of course, into CPC, CPL, ROI, and brand lift. And those are the easy ones, right? You can get those out of most of the platforms you look at. When you get more advanced and you're working with media mix modeling and advanced multi-touch attribution models, it gets a whole lot harder. Real-time feedback loops with your data empowers you to optimize campaigns continuously and all the time, right? It really, really makes it a lot better for you. Simply put, the creative side of marketing is really only about 30% of the story. Everything needs to be measured and tested. So when you come in with decent analytics chops, you can really lean into what is working and cut out the crap that's not. 
From a stack perspective, if you don't have the right integration and the right data pipes, you won't be able to connect your data and tell the right story. If you can't tell the data story from all that creative marketing work you're doing, we all know you're throwing 50% of your marketing dollars in the trash. The question though is, can you tell me which half of the marketing dollars you just threw in the trash? All right, well, you know, let's get back to Aaron, but I think you need to go do some digging in the data and make sure you know your marketing money is not going in the trash. What are the big initiatives that you're running that are going to help you reach these goals? Like, what are you doing that's cool or different? And then what's the stack that's behind all of that? So each stack has kind of like a, a heart, right? Or a core to it. Traditionally, as a CRM, it could take the shape of a CDP or, or a DMP, like whatever's fashionable in that, you know, three to five year span, basically. We have HubSpot in the middle. And no tool is perfect, in my opinion. HubSpot works great for us. Every time we sort of hit a wall with a group, I step back and say, what are we trying to do that HubSpot can't do? And coming at it from that angle, instead of, we like this tool or we want to try that, right? So anyway, HubSpot is sort of at the center of our, of our lead gen efforts and you know, our forms flow into there, our data flows into there, our sales team works out of there. So you, you talk about Rakuten. So you added the Rakuten affiliate network, right? Which is an amazing network to be able to run advertisements. So, and you're using that to really bring in those banking leads. And at the end of the day, it sounds like you need to convert those banking leads into a mortgage in many cases. That's probably where the real money is. It sounds like Rakuten is really helping that. I guess like when you think about whether it be the banking leads or even the mortgage leads, as they come through the funnel, it sounds like they're going into HubSpot, they're going into HubSpot forms, but how do you really push them down the funnel? Like how's your team managing that? I know... We had talked about social proof and recognition. So I'm curious to understand, like, how does this really work? Social proof and recognition play a, a big role. Unfortunately, it's one of those things that's the sum of the parts, right? So it's not any one little thing that we marketers do that, that's going to be the silver bullet to say the average person entering your site, you know, entering your experience that we like to say is going to automatically trust you and just, you know, fly down the funnel, right? It's the sum of the parts. There's no one little thing. I wish it was, right? I wish it was like one type of review that would just be the thing that would make everyone fly down the funnel, but it just isn't. So for lending, I actually enjoy the longer tail sales cycles. I think a lot of marketers shy away from that because it's just like e-commerce, right? The customer journey for buying a pair of khakis is fundamentally different than getting a, a mortgage, right? One of the easiest ways to sort of describe the difference is speed. Maybe it takes me a week to think about those khakis, but it'll take me months or longer to go through that journey, right? All the way from awareness, oh wow, everyone's getting a home and my city's you know, going to hell. I'm not saying that that's the case, but a lot of people in the past couple of years, myself included, by the way, got house crazy. Like my wife and I got super house crazy and we went through that journey actually really quickly. It was accelerated. But even that accelerated journey took months. How do you measure that though? I guess I'm curious, like how does Quantic measure that? So like naturally as an e-commerce company, I know that it's been, it took a week for them to make the decision on the khaki. They visited the site, they saw that. So I'm just curious, like if you if you love this long sales cycle, how does Quantic measure that and know the sales cycle or know how long that's taking or impact that, right? From a stack perspective. So this gets into actually the most important piece and the piece that I'm most proud of in our quote unquote stack, which essentially is Power BI. And so a few years ago, one of the things that me and my team started was to establish a true data hub. We didn't really have a data lake. We didn't really have a true sort of analytics dashboard interface. We started building that. The tool itself, we're all in on the Microsoft stack for better or for worse. Every stack is flawed, but it basically works for us. And so what exists today is what we call the Quantic Data Hub. 
We launched it about 18 months ago. And at this point, there are probably over 35 dashboards. Some of them take weeks to produce, sometimes months. And sometimes there's lead up in terms of integration, APIs, all that stuff that are required in order to produce like a very slick dashboard. So to answer your question about funnel and the length and the journey and understanding that, we have a D2C dashboard, which is my favorite dashboard. There are four tabs. There's one tab each for marketing, sales, and ops. And then one that's a sort of an overview tab. It is, I would say, at just the right level of depth, right? Because there is the what I call the up-down syndrome. So if you've got a, an extremely lengthy dashboard, everything is up, everything is down. It's like, okay, well, what matters, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And you just be like dizzied by all the numbers. So anyway, less is more, I think, when it comes to dashboards, not analytics, right? There's a difference between mining the data and looking for insights and answers and a dashboard that's meant to be looked at once a week to tell us, hey, what's going on here? We look at the D2C dashboard across the three groups, across marketing, sales, and ops. And we actually lead the discussion and we talk about the key metrics for each one of those tabs in each one of those departments. And also sort of the, the through line that goes from that lead gen aspect. Okay, are we bringing in quality leads and all these little indicators that show that from, you know, by channel, you know, the sales touch points, how long is it taking for us to respond to the average lead, speed to lead? We have it on a per salesperson basis. We create metrics per salesperson. And then for the department holistically, one of which is lead to prequal rate, which we very consciously chose for Q1 to hone in on that. Delphi, not a North Star, a little bit of a nitty gritty in the middle metric, but hey, we're going all in on this. So every week when we talk, we start with that and that there's actually some power and focus there. And I guess like, how are you pushing these people through the funnel? Like what's the growth strategy or way that you're leveraging this, this social proof or recognition that's helping them get through that funnel? Very practically speaking, it happens over email and phone. And the hard part is when you have, we've got a deal board, right, in HubSpot that starts with new and active and then prequal and then application and then underwriting. And there's all these little sub-steps. But anyway, we've sort of broken it down into probably six or seven core stages or steps of that journey. And so this is where I think marketing and, and the MarTech stack, the job with a long sales cycle, like a loan, like a mortgage loan, the primary job we have is to provide that net. And what I mean is to have things set up in an automated and smart way because the average salesperson, they can't be focused on the 42 people in active and also be fully focused on the 14 people in underwriting. And oh, shoot, I also have 25 people sitting in my new column that I need to reach out to ASAP because we're all watching that, right? Yeah. The primary thing that we provide there is marketing automation and basically programming really smart, data-based, well-triggered emails, right time, right communication, and also incorporating our stuff. Your question was more specifically about like, how do we incorporate the social proofing piece? Well, the second email that we send out to an active lead talks about Quantic the brand and talks about our rating on Google and Zillow. And so you have to have those things in order to talk about those things. And I think when and how you choose to bring those things up, you know, we always talk about, and this is a very commonly used phrase, but it means a lot to us, you know, hitting the mark. There's a massive difference and there's a little bit of an eye test. I think a lot of what I've developed over the past couple of years is the art 
I think I had the science part of marketing down. And that is really about the MarTech stack and what that enables you to do. But there's an art to it, right? Like when you say it and how you say it kind of is the difference between hitting the mark and missing the mark. So it's important for us. I love it. And then, so it sounds like you have email automation, which is going through HubSpot. And this is trying to obviously augment the fact that sales can't be everywhere all the time and trying to push them down the funnel. I'm curious to understand a little bit. So you're like pushing people through here, but how are you collecting that social proof in the first place? Like what's the the way you go about doing that and tools you maybe use there to make that even easier? We brought in Trustpilot that I've used in a few different companies at this point. They're really good. You know, they, they basically make it easy for you to collect and showcase reviews. We've been focused on that for the past couple of years. Uh, I think we got 4.2 stars at this point, which isn't groundbreaking, but you start where you start and you move up. And like I said, if we're being honest, you know, Quantic, the front of the store is nicer than the inside of the store. That won't be the case within a year from now. We're working on some of the basics. Like I said, the mobile app is going to be world-class in a couple of months. And so the product is sort of catching up with the marketing, quite frankly. We take very seriously the collecting reviews and making sure that if people search Quantic, people search Quantic reviews, if people search is Quantic legit, which happens more than you think, that it's not only us saying we're legit, which by the way is the trust pilot play, and we have to sort of collect customer reviews and Quantic has to say, we are legit. Look at these thousands of customers that say great things about us. And we insert that trust pilot widget on landing pages and different product pages on the site, but also making sure that the big publishers say great things about us. And so we did an exercise mid-2021, I think, of doing a really honest assessment of our reviews. We had pretty good reviews on NerdWallet, Investopedia, Forbes, so on and so forth. They have a basic way to sort of review, right? It comes down to pros and cons. And we took their cons seriously. And we actually changed products based on what they were calling us out on, right? Quantic says no fees. Well, actually, we have this little esoteric fee that technically exists in the disclosures. Great. Leadership team get together. Do we all agree that this isn't helping the business and isn't necessary and it would help our reviews and also our customers? Great. Let's make that change. So we were actually able to move pretty quickly on some of this stuff. And if you just load up our site, we're pretty front and center with our customer reviews, but even more so with our publisher reviews. Because again, at the end of the day, a nerd wallet and a bank rate, they're spending tens of millions of dollars advertising like NerdWallet had like a Super Bowl ad. They're spending the money to establish themselves as a brand. If NerdWallet gives Quantic a 4.8 and says all these amazing things, that's a really important part of our ecosystem. And anyway, we incorporate that into our marketing automation, our emails. We find clever but authentic ways to insert that into the customer journey. Trustpilot's great. Like I've used it before. Like, and there's a lot of these different trust tools out there. But you're collecting the re- the feedback and the reviews, which is great because it sounds like you're actually doing something with them. Clearly, you're trying to make sure that you're listening to the customers and doing something about it. But I'm curious. You use this social proof to kind of push them down the funnel. What else are you doing that's helping make sure that these people, from going from a lead, go to prequal for a, mor- a mortgage? So, in a word, test. We're testing. Marketers over the past decade have really doubled down on testing and experimentation, which is great, right? That's the science of it. Everything is sort of, you know, depends on how you use it, right? Just because you're testing, does that mean you're making meaningful gains and you're really driving up conversion? That's where things get interesting. You know, just the moniker that we have here at the marketing department at Quantic is ABT, always be testing. We actually have 
t-shirts, ABT and hats and stuff. <laughs> like this stuff matters. I think we, my team probably has over, you know, a dozen t-shirts with, you know, quirky marketing phrases on it. I but, agree. That's the fun stuff, right? You got to keep it fun. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do jean jackets next. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that comes out. <laughs> I'm going to become a marketing advisor over there. Okay. So just so I can get this jean jacket. Yes. So ABT, always be testing and then make it meaningful. Right. And so like you started off talking about with the widget, inserting social proofing on landing pages, that's like a very obvious test. And the hypothesis there is, you know, if we insert more obvious top of page type social proofing, that'll increase the conversion rate, always starting with a hypothesis. And some of them are very straightforward and, and logical and some, some are not. What are you using for testing? I'll tell you what we had and then I'll tell you what we use. We had um, two tools. We had Optimizely and Unbounce. And Optimizely is good. It's actually a really incredible story. I've got former coworkers that worked at Optimizely for years and they went from this you know, upstart, a few hundred dollars a month testing tool to enterprise, which is super hard to do. They went upstream, which is impressive for you know, a software company. So we had Optimizely, but we weren't really using it, right? When I stepped in, we were doing what I call just cause, just cause tests, right? We're, we're <laughs> testing just cause, like we're supposed to test. So like we're running five tests, isn't that cool? Well, none of them really meant anything and we weren't really changing meaning, meaningful things. And so I think from a tool standpoint is one thing, but you have to have a really strong, meaningful approach. So we had, um, like I said, Optimizely, we traded that in for Google Optimize. It was free and it works. Do we need to be paying for something that we aren't really using? And then the second piece that we stripped away, I think stripping things away sometimes is necessary. You have to be adding on parts to your tech stack because you, you should always be doing more. And that usually requires more tools. But you know, do you really need three pieces of software to run a testing program? Right? You, don't, you don't have to. And so Unbounce is another really good tool. Uh, that is useful. If you have something like more than 40 landing pages, you got to have a tool like Unbounce. We weren't close to that. So do we really need that? We paused that subscription and we went back to the basics a little bit. And we're still not back to adding on tools or software for our testing program. We'll probably be there soon, actually. But for now, it, it's working well for us. Having an approach or a framework is the most crucial thing there. So pretty simple stuff, right? High, medium, low is really the name of the game. You know, I think naming things also helps. So what I mean by high, I mean that you are taking a big swing. So we call that the big swing category. And you take a big swing once a quarter. And that's a big, meaningful change that takes probably a little bit of time to think through and design and execute. It's not swapping image and copy. It is basically testing a new way for a person to apply for a bank account, right? Something big and juicy, right? So that's a big swing. At the low part, we have incremental gains, right? Which is you know what, let's turn through some smaller changes on smaller pages and try and make some incremental gains, right? Like, you know, 5% lift here, 12% lift there. Like really the stuff that you do frequently to drive your, your testing program. And then there's the stuff in the middle. And I think that is actually where you can move the needle. We call that the needle mover. We try and move the needle in a little bit more of a meaningful way. It may not take a month to concept and design. It might take a week, but it's somewhere in the middle, right? We expect more from it but the effort is lower. So it's just effort and impact and just thinking through a little bit of a framework. And we've got like a Miro board, which is another tool that we use to compensate for being remote. So anyway, we've got this, all these like different ways to try and think about and communicate very simple ways to 
approach testing because all the tools are super important and we've got a handful of them involved and facilitating things and executing things. But what you choose to test and how you test it and how you judge the outcome of those tests, that's where, you know, great is separated from good. Testing is crazy important. And if you think about it, it goes along with Aaron's overall strategy of knowing his shit and making informed decision. That said, as he described, there comes a time when you've crossed the line and you're just testing for the sake of testing, which is honestly a waste of effort. It's kind of like the marketing dollars you threw in the trash, right? If you're testing just to test, you're throwing your time in the trash. Walking that line is hard though, right? It is very difficult to understand when you've gone through as many of the tests that you can and you kind of have depreciating returns at this point. Someone who did that well, though, was Munbir Sodia. He's the VP of Growth at Aura, and you need to go back and listen to that episode. I like to think in experiments, not campaigns. If you think of everything you do as a marketing team as an experiment, then you're not going to fail because you're going to constantly hypothesize, learn, document, and decide whether you're going to rinse and repeat. Are you going to scale what you've tried or what would you try differently? We spoke to him a few episodes back and learned a lot. I also talked pretty extensively about some of my secret testing tricks and some of the things we use at our company, hint, hint, our vice framework. And there's a lot of great takeaways from that episode. So let's get back to Aaron, but don't forget to go check out Munbeer's episode as well. Now I'm curious, I guess like when you think about your stack, like any any cool tools that you're super pumped to talk about? Yeah, we've got a partner called Wevo, W-E-V-O. If you scrape our site, you won't see their code on it because it's a standalone software. So one of the things that was, I would call it a hard lesson for me that was midway through my career is like seven, eight years ago because I was all in on the quant, right? If you could quantitatively measure the difference between A and B and be precise about it, that's really the only way that you can measure true positive growth. Fact is, there's a whole quality element. The UX community has known this for a long time and and marketers more from a creative background have known this for a long time. But for a true performance marketer, which is how I came up, the qualitative part is a little, it's like, it's hard for us to stomach and admit. So anyway, Wevo uh, is a really cool tool. They take a page or an experience, right? So we give them, for example, our online pre-qual flow for uh, mortgage loans. We've got a handful of them. It's like this slick widget. It's like 12 steps and it goes through and it's got all this different design elements to it and social proofing. And we're constantly testing that. Outside of constantly testing that from a a Google optimized perspective, we also need to get the qualitative read on it. A, from people describing what they like and what they don't like, which by the way, in aggregate can be really meaningful. In isolation, like any one person's opinion, like who cares, right? But if you collect a few hundred people or a few thousand people's opinion on having them sit down and look at and think about your experience, it could be really insightful. So we've learned a lot from Weibo and the qualitative data. The second thing that Weibo uh, does for us, which I think is very hard to get these days, is a nice quick read on how you stand against your peers. They have a framework. I, I love frameworks, but they've got these five dimensions that they basically break out and they say like, from a clarity standpoint, is your experience clear? For example, it's like they'll grade you against your peer set, right? So in financial services, you grade here and on average, your peers in, the, in your industry are here. And you'll actually see where you measure up against on these five different sort of paradigms that are best practice UX type paradigms. 
the readout that we've gotten from that stuff has really led to our .com experience, right? Because we've done that for our homepage, for product pages, for our the content section, for various parts of our site. And it's really been helpful for us. Such great stuff from Aaron. Time for some takeaways. First, Aaron emphasized the importance of humanizing the brand, a crucial strategy even more so for a bank like Quantic. They need to differentiate themselves to help them compete in this wildly crazy market. Taxes and finances aren't exactly associated with warmth and humanity. And as an example, their standout move for this payment ring just kind of shows off that they're a little bit different and they're focused on what's going to be helpful for you. They fully have embraced technology and are even kind of like bending the expectations of what you would have from a bank. And they're not like reinventing the wheel. They're just using existing tech to improve the user experience front and center. Think about that aura ring I talked about earlier, right? Completely cool feature that goes on your finger like a ring and makes it a lot easier in life to get your biometrics about your body compared to that bulky watch you're trying to wear when you sleep. Second, in order to leverage all those amazing capabilities in MarTech and be an effective marketer, an analytics background is pretty crucial. Now, you don't need to be Aaron's extensive analytics background, but you definitely need to know the basics. And all of those marketers out here, you definitely need to get the basics of your analytics down. Whether that is how do you track it or how do you measure it or what do you do with the measurement, you need to start getting those basics done. Marketing isn't just about being fun and creative. While it is one of my favorite parts, you have to remember, it's also that data-driven decision-making at the end of the day too. That's what's helped me keep my job, right? Is the actual data and success that came out of that fun, creative thing I did. And trust me, there's been plenty of fun and creative things I've done that did not go successfully. And that's what the data has helped me identify. And the last thing that we talked a lot about with Aaron was testing. This really goes hand in hand with my first two takeaways. When it comes to making decisions, they should be data-driven and user-centric with the ultimate goal of humanizing your brand and your product, right? Making it so people really, really like it. Now, testing is a great way to achieve those things, but you have to make sure that you know what you're doing there. And really, when we think about it, budget-wise, when you're building with your stack, there is, of course, a lot of opportunity to bring in all sorts of testing tools, regardless of your company size. You know, many people are familiar with Optimizely. It has some very powerful features, but it is super freaking expensive. And some companies who are smaller can't necessarily even utilize most of those features for testing. And that's where in Aaron's interview, we talked about Google Optimize. Now, Google Optimize has been deprecated since we originally recorded this episode. And I would definitely recommend if you are like me and you had a lot of Google Optimize uh, usage, we have moved over to convert.com. Great option out there. But Optimizely can be pretty pricey. So can VWO. Convert.com is a pretty amazing tool for the price. So definitely check that out. I think it'd be good. Now, I don't know what Aaron picked up after our episode. You know, I know that he lost Google Optimize, but I'm going to go to stackbuilder.com. I'm going to put in Quantic's domain and it will actually load in every single thing that they're using and I'll be able to find that out. You know, you could go do that too with your own website. So go check out stackbuilder.com and see what's in your tech stack and find out where you could possibly save some money. Anyways, if you want to learn more about testing, go back to that episode with Munbeer. It was really, really good. He's the VP of growth at Aura Ring. And honestly, it's my second favorite ring after my wedding ring. I love the Aura Ring. But their testing program was amazing. So go check it out. Now, thanks for coming today. I really enjoyed this episode. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Leave us that five-star review. Help us out. We want to make sure we know we're doing good. Let us know and send me a note if you don't think we're doing good. But this is Dan and I'll catch you next week. Thank you